you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick, Portfolio Manager with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth, and Colin White, Portfolio Manager with the Veracan Capital Management, Inc. Colin, you have a bit of an extra hop in your step today. Why don't you explain? Why, yes, I no longer am part of WLWP. I am now the, a proud member of Veracan Capital Management, one of the newest players in the capital management scene in Canada. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we are now our own portfolio management firm. We've been working for a, a period of time now to get ourselves organized, and we've taken the step to answer directly to the securities commissions in the various provinces that we operate in and uh, kind of remove the middleman a little bit. Are you a little bit jealous? I am because I'm still here at WLWP and I private wealth doing my thing as we always have. So people might be asking the question now, why are we on different sides of the fence? Yeah, Josh, why, why don't you want to come over and play in the big pool? <laughs> I do. I do. I'll be there, but uh, in good time, Colin. So I'm taking my time here. Uh, there is a, a bit of a transition for us business-wise to move over from the WLWP side to the Veracan Capital Management side. And I'm straddling the line right now because we need to make sure that all of our clients are properly serviced all the way through. So to ensure a seamless transition for everybody, we threw you over the fence and we're leaving me behind for a little while to take flack, to take the bullets while you are there basking in your glory. Yes, the vanguard as it were. No, I mean, we've, there's a lot of thought has gone into this and there's a couple of key things we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to make sure that this was going to work out better for our clients. And we think we put that in place. And we also wanted to make the transition as seamless as we could make it. So uh, by having me go over first and prepare the landing zone for Josh, uh, we're going to keep going with the military analogy, um, you know, that, that, that will get things started and Josh can make sure that everything's nice and smooth on the home front. And when we get things established, uh, come over and, and join the new firm. And then we can talk much more about what the new firm is and what it's going to do. Um, and we've been, we've been talking with a lot of our clients and we'll talk with uh, all of our clients over the, over the coming, coming weeks and explain it to them. Uh, but it's uh, exciting times. Very excited. Yeah. Holding down the fort here and excited to join you on the other side. There you go. So do you want to kick off the podcast, Josh? I have a surprise for you today, Colin. Actually, a number of surprises podcast wise. And this one, I'm pretty excited about this one. So the next episode of our Bare Naked Money podcast is going to be a whole bunch of surprises. And I started thinking about this because I heard this statistic, market related, finance related. And I was just like, I, I actually can't believe that. I have to I have to look that up. I have to fact check that. And this happens a lot where something is just almost so surprising it just kind of knocks you off your chair and you say does that even does that even sound real? And the answer is no. So I I've come up with a number of these data points or pieces of information that to me have that a little bit of that shock value to them where you're going to after this podcast go and google some of these things. So you can make sure that I haven't been lying to you throughout the entire podcast. Oh, so you've, you've, you one of these is a lie and I have to figure out which one it is. Is it that kind of game? <laughs> I, I don't do well with that kind of game. I, I can't tell when people are lying. I'm, I'm not here to trick you. I, I'm, I'm just laying the facts on the table, but I guarantee you, you're going to want to not only 
not only look up one of these, look up all of them to make sure that they're accurate. Yeah, no, and, and listen, as an observation, this is the key to success in life is being curious and never accepting something at face value, always asking why, why, why until you run out of energy. So what you are watching today is that probably the cornerstone of Josh's entire personality, and I'd like to thank mine as well, that I don't understand that. So I have to understand that. And you start to dig and that's how you learn things. So I can't wait. Now we have to give a disclaimer, Josh. You did send me the list 10 minutes ago. So I actually have, in theory, at least read it. But 10 minutes ago, you sent it to me. So I may not be entirely surprised, but I I, I only glanced at it. So this is still going to be a, a Colin Reacts podcast. Yeah. Well, I intentionally left out the details around the topics that I'm going to bring to the table here. Because I didn't want you to know exactly what I was talking about, but I wanted you to have just a little bit of a hint of where I was going. And not only does this express our curiosity, but it also helps, I think, drive home a lot of different lessons that you can learn when looking at some of these things. And we'll go through that as we as we discuss the different ideas here. All right, you built the suspense enough, Josh. You, you built it. I'm too. I'm too excited now. So, you, you, what, what's what's your first surprise? Okay. Well, I'm going to start with European stocks. Not something we talk a whole lot about on this podcast, but I'm going to tell you again some things that you probably won't believe. European stocks, one of the best performing developed markets over the last 12 months. Europe, up 15% over the last year. You compare that to the Canadian stock market up about six and the US stock market up about five. You say, okay, well, but they got crushed in early 2022, did they not? Yes, they did. But guess what? Over two years, Europe, still the best performing market out of those three. Better than Canada, better than the US. Only marginally better than Canada, but beating the US by about 6% per year over that, that two-year period of time. Year to date, Europe up 11%. TSX uh, for Canadian stock market and S&P 500 US up 7 to 8 So beating year to date as well. So can you believe that? The European stock market is done much better than Canada and the U.S. over the last 12 months. Well, Josh, if you keep asking the questions and answering them, I'm, I'm going to go for another coffee. But, you know, <laughs> you're on a bit of a roll there. And I appreciate that about you. No, listen, it's, it is a very developed market and it's a diversified market. And there's, we say Europe, but there's some bastions of real strength there. Germany, as an example, is a manufacturing juggernaut. And dare I say? War can be good for business. Is am I allowed to say that? Is that going to get us canceled? Am I you, probably? Yeah. I mean, you did the it. Of stuff. I mean, the stuff that you blow up, you got to replace, and it costs money to blow stuff up. And all of a sudden, companies are producing more. Yeah. So you know what? I did not know that. I had not consumed the information in the the, the format that you had laid it out. But it's. Yeah, I, I can rationalize it in my head. I'm not going, oh my God, that's 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 unbelievable. I'm not going to, I accept, I accept your numbers, Josh, on, on their face. Okay, okay. So you accept my numbers. Transport yourself back 12 months. We're in the, the heart of the Ukraine-Russia conflict and that stuff's going crazy. And you have all kinds of market commentators saying that a recession in Europe is inevitable. People might be going without heat for the winter because natural gas prices are too high and you don't know if we're going to have any imports. 
people might be going without food because wheat prices and corn prices are too high. And we don't know how, if we're going to have imports of that stuff. So 12 months ago, would you not have been shocked to sit here 12 months later and say that Europe was the best performing market over that time? Oh, look, look the, the, it would be long odds for sure. But you know, again, I, I, I would have sat there and said, it doesn't look good right now, but it's not going to look bad forever. Right. Yeah. So uh, it, it would have been very difficult 12 months ago, to your point, to say, this is going to be the best performing market. I would not have said that. No, just, just kind of, but I don't know that I would ever say that about a given market. So yeah, it's, and that's good. And actually, interestingly enough, that, that builds right back into how markets function because that's how markets price things. And because the sentiment was so negative 12 months ago is probably why it's become so successful now, right? Because then we, we tend to overreact to these things and a lot of uncertainty means people pull out. And yeah. even, even if you weren't pessimistic, you were uncertain. Pessimism and uncertainty are going to drive prices down artificially. So if you're in a moment of peak pessimism or peak uncertainty, I mean, sort of like the, the, the play we made with the Canadian banks not that long ago, peak pessimism, peak uncertainty. Yeah. There's, there's, there, there, there could be something there, right? Cause that's yeah. when you're going to see price dislocations. Well, my question was going to be kind of along those lines. If people start saying market commentators, investors start saying that a recession is inevitable in a given market. Is that not the perfect time to buy? Because to your point, pessimism must be at its absolute peak. And if a recession is inevitable, even if a recession takes place, it's already priced into the market. So, I mean, Josh, I keep waiting for you to come up with this wonderful analogy that you you spawned within the group, because I think it's the perfect way to describe the way things have been behaving, certainly over the last 12 months, anticipating this recession. I'm not even going to say anything more other than to prompt you to tell your story, Josh. <laughs> so the last 12 months have been fraught with people calling for a recession. <clears throat> so the jobs numbers came out last week on Friday, and in both Canada and the US, they are very strong. Unemployment rates taking down to new recent lows, which is totally unexpected. And over the last 12 months, all these, and probably beyond, let's call it 18 months, all these commentators calling for recessions have been consistently chasing something that they couldn't quite put their hands on. And this recession keeps getting pushed out further and further and further and is seemingly uh, definitely not here right now. Is it six months away? We don't know. But my analogy was, this is a lot like that cheese wheel chasing event that they have in the UK every year where you have all these crazy people running down this steep hill grassy hill, full speed, chasing a wheel of cheese that they're never going to be able to catch, breaking limbs, getting bruised up, doing somersaults, falling on their ass. And at the end of the day, none of them, I guess one of them ends up catching this, this wheel of cheese, but not until long after they've all injured themselves multiple times along the way. It reminds me a lot of what people are, are doing uh, trying to predict a recession or really trying to predict anything about the future when it comes to finances, you end up doing a lot more harm than good. And as I wrote last week, you're better off standing on the sidelines, watching all this chaos unfold and just uh, staying out of harm's way. And calmly walking out at the end after the cheese has come to rest at the bottom of the hill and putting your hand on the cheese. <laughs> and there it is. Exactly. There it is. So we know all this stuff. We were able to define all this stuff in hindsight. And a lot of times 
making drastic moves along the way, uh, trying to be out in front of it or trying to predict it ahead of time is just going to lead to more harm. Well, exactly. And we always talk about investable ideas, right? Is, is this an investable thing? And the fact that the European market has been the top performer recently, Josh, is that an investable idea? No, not, not on itself. And if anything, it's something to shy away from, right? This is, we, we would have said it would be more investable last year. Like I said, when everybody was calling for a recession, because that's when the, the pessimism is at its peak. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So this is, just to be clear, we're not telling everybody to put all of their money in Europe and we are not putting all of our money in Europe, just making sure that we haven't lost anybody along the way who's just only listening to part of this podcast. Yeah. That, very true. I think if you take anything away, it's that you shouldn't have been running away wholeheartedly from Europe last year, just like you shouldn't be piling all your money in this year. <laughs> but my, my second, uh, second surprising note or statistic here relies on some of the same information, commodity prices. So going to read some numbers out to you again. Oil started 2022 at $76 a barrel, ended at $78 a barrel. It's now $72 a barrel. Last year, if you remember, there were calls for $200 per barrel oil prices. Natural gas prices, they're down about 50% since the start of 2022. They ended 2022 approximately flat. Wheat prices, about the same. Flat last year, down since the start of 2022 up to today. Bank of Canada Commodity Price Index, down 14% in 2022. So another thing where it was like, it's inevitable that commodity prices skyrocket and stay high. And I've, I've heard over, over the last couple of months, couple of years, multiple calls for a commodity super cycle. It's not showing up in the numbers. And I think, again, I'll kind of transport us back in time 12 months ago. It'd be very hard for most people to predict that commodity prices are going to be so significantly lower 12 months later. And that 2022, they'd finish the year kind of flat. Notwithstanding all the, the spikes that they had throughout the year, but spike up and pretty material and significant and quick correction. I'd find that surprising if you told me 12 months ago. No, absolutely. What, what I find is the, a lot of the analysis around commodity pricing is very linear and it's, it's very uh, one-dimensional. We'll take a look at a disruption in a given commodity and say this disruption is going to lead to lower supplies, is going to lead to shortages, is going to lead to higher prices but they don't allow for an organic system that's going to morph. They don't allow for the fact that, oh, at that price, this, this project now makes sense. So this co company or this country that's been holding onto resources is going to let them into the market. Or it's not a static situation. And a lot of the commodity analysis that I see out there is very linear and it, it's very one-dimensional. And they're not wrong, but it's not the whole story. And things are going to change and you're going to see changes in supply patterns. You're going to see changes in consumption. You're going to see sometimes it's possible to, to change the use of one commodity over another, right? And again, like the whole food inflation thing. If, if grain gets too expensive, people are going to go to other forms of food, right? So it, it's not, there's, there's, there's some price elasticity to go back to my, my economic days yeah, that that can change patterns as well. And it's super complicated, super nuanced, but doesn't lead itself to a really good investment idea. And good investment ideas need oxygen and they need passion and they need some excitement. So the, 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 the true nuance of the situation 
doesn't lend itself to that. So that's why I think there was a big opportunity. And I was at conferences recently as two weeks ago talking about the new commodity super cycle. And there could be something there. But to say wholeheartedly, that's exactly what's going to go on. Uh, did, you, did you read the book? Was it part of your reading in school, Boom, Bust, and Echo? No. It basically talked about the, the population growth on the planet. And it was going to drive all of the economic work. Like all of the stock markets are going to fall this boom, bust, and echo because everything was about population. It missed every mark because, again, yeah, there was a big birth boom for a long time. But since then, birth rates have plummeted. So it, it did not go in a straight line. People adjusted. And it, it did not, it was not the dominant factor in, in a lot of the economic uh, indicators and a lot of the economic outcomes. So again, they, they make for interesting reading and they can be a little bit informative, but to take something hook, line and sinker and say, yeah, this is exactly what's going to happen. That's fraught. Mm. Always fraught. Right. So moving on here, this is maybe not that surprising because I think it's been covered so much over the last few months, but it's still shocking some of the numbers. So I'm talking about Silicon Valley Bank here. And I know you're bored of this already, Colin, but bear with me for, for a, a few minutes and have a chat about it. I'll 40, hear you. $42 billion left that bank in a single day. That is an astronomical number. So just to use a 24-hour day as an example, that's $500,000 leaving the bank every second for a 24-hour day or $30 million leaving every minute. No wonder the bank collapsed. No wonder it collapsed. But so comment on that first, and then I have one question for you. Well, when numbers get to a certain size, you just can't, you can't conceive of them. And, you know, that this is definitely beyond any kind of reasonable comprehension. But, you know, those, those numbers are so large that you, you say that to a layperson, it's like, oh my God, that must be the end of time. Like if something like that's going on, then, you know, the sun didn't come up the following day. The Leafs won the cup. I mean, some, something cataclysmic happened because <laughs> that's not will ever happen. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but that's that, but that's the response. This number is so big, and and it's it's big numbers are interesting and big numbers are attractive and a lot of people will read big numbers and then when they can't put it in any kind of context, they start to draw conclusions from it, and that's where the con the contagion kicks in. It's like, is that going to lead people to make other decisions? And that's it's like dropping a rock in a pond. It starts a ripple. Like, well, how big is the ripple going to get? Like, how shallow is the water? All that kind of stuff. And those are the commentators that were, this, this, this could go somewhere or this, this, this could just stop here. But it was such a big number. And again, you've done a wonderful job of writing headlines. You, you should be a headline writer. The way you just described it, I got a little bit afraid and I, and I, I shouldn't be. So here, here's my question for you based off of this experience. Have, have we seen a, fundamental change to the way that that banks function going forward forever because and I, I say that because of the the speed with which we saw these withdrawals it was very much a social network driven thing where there is so much overlap between the different um customers of the bank and maybe a little bit of friendliness between them that it, it was almost like a viral bank run. Yep. 
Yeah, no, it, absolutely. And, and we may see some regulatory changes come out of it, but I don't think that it, we, we've, we go through patterns specifically in the U.S. of having more regulation and less regulation. The times like this mean a few more regulations will come in and things will get tighter for a while. And then the right president's going to get in and say, this is strangling the free market and we're going to relax all these things because we don't need them anymore. So there's always been that back and forth on the regulatory side. The size and scale of things, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, the, the, the stock market had to react to flash crashes, right? Because back when people were on the phone placing orders to buy and sell stocks, it was really tough to have a flash crash. When computers right. were placing seventeen or $20,000 20, 20, orders a second in a particular name, yeah, it can quickly. So the regulatory environment has to react to technology. Technology increases the speed of things. It's funny when you when you read a little bit about history and we talk about great you know, back to the Great Depression and all these other kind of things and monetary policy back during the Great Depression compared to monetary po- monetary policy during the Great Depression. It took four days for a letter to get from the U.S. to Europe to communicate anything, and it was a letter. So if you had a conversation with another central banker in Europe, it was going to take you some time. So the policies in place and the way things were dealt with with that kind of technology probably don't teach us a whole lot about dealing with similar problems with today's technology, with the flow of information and how quickly things can move. So I do think you're going to see some regulatory changes come in to protect the system because there's votes in it. Some, a politician could stand up right now and say, in order to protect the solvency of our banks, we are introducing the following, and they will get public support for it. And that's how democracies work. But let me ask you a question, Josh. All that money left the bank. Where did it go? I don't know. I actually don't know. Uh, the but, story but is that good, it's a, a good, good chance it went to another bank, right? Well, another bank, and there's some stories about it going into money markets and things like that, which is a story for another day. But yeah, it's it it um, any type of issue like this. I think kind of what you're hinting at is it creates winners and losers, and Silicon Valley banks, obvious loser at this point, but the uh, other banks that are picking up assets or picking up dollars, deposits, they're probably a winner. And the banks that are buying assets at 10 cents on the dollar or whatever it is, they're they're probably a winner too. So um, this stuff does sort of fix itself over time. Yes, which is why it gets boring after a while. (laughs) That's why you're bored about it. Thanks for humoring me though. So next number here, and I know you you won't be totally surprised because I've shared this with you before, but I looked at some Canadian CPI, uh, consumer price inflation numbers for the last 10 years. The last 10 years, inflation uh, on average per year has been 2.37%. We're targeting 2%. Mm -hmm. We're not that far off from our target. I know people are feeling it now and they've been feeling it for the last probably 18 months, big time. Cause I talk, everybody I talk to is, is complaining about the same thing and I get it. But if you zoom out a little bit, we're kind of right on track with where you've been for the last 35 or so years. Yeah. Well, what you want to say to someone is shut up. You had it so easy for so long, but just shut up because the inflation was so long, the solo for so long. And we've all, for anybody that's been alive for 10 years, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much on average. Now, that's not a popular thing to do. It's way more popular to go, oh my God, I know it's terrible. You know, but inflation's a thing. It's going to drift in and out. 
there was a number just today came out. The U.S. dropped to 4.9, the headline number, which is the lowest in two years. So, yeah, inflation's a thing. The central banks think it's a thing. Policies are being put in place to bring it down. It's it's going to run its cycle, and it's it's going to have short-term surprises along the way. But it's it's going to get back something close to 2%, which, by coinkydink, is the inflation rate that I tend to use if I'm projecting inflation going forward. And I've did that before, and people are going, well, it's, it's lower than that. We're going to keep it at 2% because it's probably going to be higher in the future. I didn't know it was going to go to 9 No, I didn't know it was going to correct itself that fast. But I do know that a 2% assumption or 2.5% assumption on inflation longer term, statistically, that that's a reasonable assumption to make. And notwithstanding the short-term dislocations like we see right now. But that's so boring, Josh. You know what it is, what they say about averages. Yeah. <laughs> I've said it multiple times. I don't need to rehash it again. Well, hey, look, I got a couple more average things. You know, you have more arms than the average person. True, I think. Because, well, nobody nobody has three arms and there's lots of people are you that have one. Are you sure four. nobody has three arms? I'm willing to bet that there's more people with one arm or no arms than there are people with three arms. Yeah, so, that's probably fair. Yeah. So on, on average, you have more more arms than the average person. The other thing I'll share, and Catherine may cut this out, you know, the average person has one testicle. That's true, too. See? <laughs> Yeah. Averages. Averages are so useful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> this will not get you any more excited because it's kind of financial nerdiness, but Credit Suisse, so Credit Suisse is a European bank that failed within the last few months or was taken over. I shouldn't say it failed because it was it was acquired by another bank. But the bondholders of a certain uh, specific type of bond were wiped out. They got zero cents on the dollar, whereas some of the equity or shareholders recovered some of their money. Now, that is so bizarre and so surprising because based off of everything that I've ever been taught in financial theory and corporate organization is that shareholders should always get wiped out before bondholders. Therefore, bonds are safer than, than stocks. That's been, I guess, put into question with this most recent transaction that took place. Have you ever heard of this before? I was going to ask, is this similar to the non-recourse financing that the Canadian banks put into the markets a few years ago? Very similar. Very uh, similar, see? actually. See, this is where the freaking marketing people got involved. People like bonds because they're safe. If you can say the word bond and you can say a bigger interest rate number, people are going to stop listening and they're yeah. going to flood into it. This is what's evil in the financial. Now, this isn't boring at all. This isn't nerdy at all. This is going to make me angry. This is what's wrong with the financial industry. They manufacture a product that looks one way, but is completely another. And behind the scenes, it fits, fixes their balance sheet, right? I know when they did it in Canada, they floated the first offering out there without a, a call to analysts and without any follow-up information. So it wasn't until after everybody oversubscribed the initial offering that it came to light that they'd actually bought equity. Because a non-recourse bond turns into equity in times of crisis. If, it, if there's an issue, what it does is fixes a bank's tier one capital. So I hadn't heard this. I hadn't read this. Now I'm angry. <laughs> but Colin, the offering documents from Credit Suisse said that you could end up with zero dollars and that you could get paid out behind equity holders in this situation. 
Oh, well, that makes it all better. Was it on page 87 <laughs> or page 92? <laughs> That's, it was in the fine print on one of those pages, I'm sure. But so there's, I guess, some nuanced differences uh, based on my limited understanding of the stuff between the Canadian issued non recourse bonds and these uh, European issued ones. But nonetheless, it, it, it does show you that you got to be careful what you buy, right? Buyer beware. Well, no, and listen, this is a plug for us because we are the nerds that when we go to do something and it seems untoward, like they're offering a higher interest rate on something, we're not going to keep going until we read it. Like, and we will read page 97 in the fine print before we accept something like that. And so some of it's understanding the playing field. Like if somebody came up to me today and said, hey, listen, I, I can guarantee you a 10% rate of return. I'm going to have a shit ton of questions. There's no way I'm taking that on face value. I don't care what name is on it. I don't care who's talking to me. I'm going to need to understand how it works. And that's my defense. And that's the defense for our clients. And the same thing with Josh, you're, you may even be more cynical than me. Someone <laughs> says something to you that's outlandish, you're going to go, just no, just stop talking or show me in fine print how this is going to hurt me. If some, someone guaranteed me a 10% return, I'd say, thank you, Mr. Madoff, but I, I, <laughs> I, I've been around long enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to bite for that one. And I wouldn't even look at it because I know it's bullshit. It doesn't exist. I'm sorry. Well, and let's go full circle because it, it, you could interpret my comments as somehow impugning the Canadian bank system that the Canadian banks are going to fail next and bondholders are going to wipe it. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that... No, that's going to happen. I do think that there's financial instruments out there that shouldn't be out there to the benefit of some of the larger financial institutions in Canada. But I don't think that they're in, remotely in the situation of Credit Suisse where they're going to get taken out by somebody else and, and the, any of this is going to happen. So, Yeah. So my next one's a little bit fun and it, it should be close to home for us. So there, there's an, a study done recently uh, by the Swiss Finance Institute don't know much about them, but it was an interesting study on financial influencers. They looked at 29,000 financial influencers around the world and found that over half are what they call to be anti-skilled. So I love, I love the way that they describe this, anti-skilled. So the most followed and most active influencers provide the worst financial results through their recommendations to a point where you'd be better off not following them at all. They're actually detrimental for your financial health. I don't think you're, you're probably not that surprised about this, are you? No, and, and I can probably remember one of them that's on that list because I watched some advice that they gave online where you were supposed to look at your credit card statement and buy shares in all of the companies you saw in your credit card statement because if you're shopping there, a lot of people are shopping there. Therefore, that's a good investment. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm i not surprised. But it, I don't think you, this isn't even just influencers. You, you you get into the mainstream media, like the Jim Cramers of the world, and then shows like that. The loudest, most opinionated people are the ones that are going to be followers. That's great TV. That's great entertainment. It's terrible advice. Yeah. Patently terrible <laughs> advice 90% of the time. But that's that's the equation. And, and and we're flying in the face of the monster. You and I are out here trying to be boring and getting people to listen. That's 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 been hard. It's not. It's, this is an easy thing to do. Yeah, I was going to ask where that puts us, but we can talk about that another time. But I'm glad you brought up Jim Cramer because there actually is a an investment product, an ETF that is an inverse Cramer ETF. 
I don't know if you've seen that. So the ETF, the investment decisions that the ETF makes are the exact opposite of what Jim Cramer recommends on CNBC, which I don't know. It's it's probably not a good investment process, but it is funny. But th this is what I see from uh, from these results is this is actually something that's useful. This is a useful result because it tells you that you go look at the the most influential financial voices on your social media, and you do the exact opposite of what they're telling you to do, and you'll actually have some pretty good results. So I'm just waiting for the ETF going. Well, only in a binary world. Like you're thinking that if it's they suggest X, you do Y. But there's a myriad of, of different ways. So it would be a difficult product to actually put together. But, you know, this little, and here's the paradox. If we ever became really popular, does that mean that people should stop listening to us? Is that... I've I've is been there, debating that in my head all day after seeing this, right? So uh, I don't know. I, versus causation. Look, we're, I think we're on the right side of this thing because in this this study, I'll I'll read a, just a, a short excerpt for you. Skilled finfluencers, they call them finfluencers, are return social sentiment and news contrarian. So I'd say we're we're definitely social sentiment and news contrarian. Are we return contrarian? We're we're probably return agnostic. Um, but they continue here, anti-skilled influencers ride momentum and social sentiment momentum and are likely to chase returns. That's definitely not us. So I don't know. We're If we get very popular, we might be straddling the line there. We'll have to make sure we don't get too popular, perhaps. Wait, wait, you're saying the answer is nuanced? <laughs> we're some of these things, but not all of these things? What 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 box do people put us in, Josh? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to ask our audience for, uh, for a poll on that one. And we, we need to come up with a better way to describe this because when you say finfluencer, I think fish. Like, so yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. all I can see is Nemo. Like every time you say that. <laughs> okay. So last, last short one here. And it just, Andrew mentioned this to me uh, probably 15 minutes before we started this podcast. By one study, 90% of people don't fact check things online. So all of these numbers that I'm talking about here, they sound outlandish. A lot of people are probably going to take them at face value and not fact check them like like we do most of the time. No, because it takes a lot of effort. It's way easier to jump to a conclusion. And it run takes with a lot of effort. Tried. It take you have a phone in your pocket right now. You can Google something in thirty seconds, probably less, and find an answer to it. You might be able to just use your voice and and have Google do it for you, or do have Siri do it for you. So it does not take a lot of effort, but it's still too high of a bar for people. But be careful, Josh, because remember, as as one of our friends likes to say, I need someone to trade against. Yes. So if this if this is what's causing price dislocations in the market and giving us opportunities to to prosper longer term, you know what? Fair enough. I'll sit I'll sit in the cheap seats and and point at it, but I don't necessarily want it to change. That's all I got for you, Collins. Anything surprising for you? Nope, but that was a lot. I think that that was there's a lot there to chew on, and uh, part of, part of it is with with age, I get more, I get less surprised, I guess, because uh, it's these are all repetitions on a theme. Craziness is something that's that's common, but one comment I guess I will add is that I don't think at any one point in time in history you can defend as being the craziest time. I don't think that again, what people say to me is like, you know, I'll wait for all this to sort out. That'll make a decision. It's like you understand it never sorts out, right? Like there's, there's always the next thing. Just li living with that and accepting that there's a certain amount of craziness out there and a certain amount of surprise, but that's relatively constant. So 
just take a breath, take your entertainment where you get your entertainment. Don't confuse entertainment with information and uh, keep listening to our podcast. Yep. That's it for the pod. If you want sources for my surprising statistics, reach out to us anytime. <laughs> Based on observation, it seems that the time an investor is most likely to move his or her portfolio to a new advisor is when the old advisor dies. Let us go on record as saying that having a pulse is not a great reason to trust someone with your entire financial future. Stop putting your life in the hands of stillbreathingwealthplanners.com and call us. Varican Capital Management Inc. is a registered portfolio manager in Nova Scotia, British Columbia, and Ontario. Nothing in this podcast should be considered as a solicitation or a recommendation to buy or sell a particular security. Statements made by the portfolio managers are intended to illustrate their approach and are meant for information and entertainment purposes only. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of iPrivateWealth Inc. iPrivate Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. iPrivate Wealth is a trademark and business name under which iPrivate Wealth Inc. operates. This should not be construed as legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.